Welcome to CPP Chat, a supposedly bi-weekly look at what's going on in the world of C++, chatting with guests from the community. Now, I'm actually recording this intro after the show to give me a chance to warn you about some issues on my channel. Long story short, it all got recorded on the wrong mic. Sorry about that. There's a lot of background noise. Now, I've cleaned it up as best I could with plugins, but it is still noticeable, so I wanted to give you a heads up. Anyway, back to the show. You know the format by now. John has a disclaimer to read. Oh, format. I got that. I got that. Ah, disclaimer. Under Washington law, an equine sponsor or professional shall not be liable for an injury to or death of a participant in equine activities resulting from the inherent risk of equine activities. Ah, so thank you very much uh, for that introduction, Phil, and for being our guest, Victor Zarevich. Hello. Thanks for inviting. So you get that close? Yes. <laughs> um, so Victor is going to set us right about format, but I think there's a couple of topics we want to talk about first. Um, one of the things that I was pointing out we neglect is we usually like to say the name of the guests on CPP Cast, and this week's guest was uh, Matthew Butler, although, as Phil pointed out, there's probably been about four guests since our last episode. <laughs> Uh, what else is going on in the world? Uh, CPPCon had uh, a lightning talk announcement. Do you want to talk about that, Phil? Well, I suppose I could. So <laughs> um, Michael Case normally does the, the lightning talks. I have done for a few years at CPPCon and C++ now. And uh, last year in particular, he introduced the, the lightning challenge format, which was quite well received. Um, but unfortunately, he couldn't make it to CPPCon. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Let's first talk about what the lightning challenge is. I was going to get to that. Oh, okay, okay. You're, okay. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll discuss that in a moment because Michael Case couldn't make it to CPPCon this year. Okay. So We're going to miss him a lot. Yeah, so there will be no lightning talks. Oh, no. Oh, actually, uh, John asked if I could do it. So <laughs> I will be hosting the lightning talks this year. The, the lightning challenge will be back. So the lightning challenge is... So lightning talks in general, of course, are usually five minutes or at least very short talks. Uh, so very fast pace. You've got a single point to get across uh, before you get pulled off the stage. And we, and we take that five minutes pretty seriously, oh, yeah. a lot more seriously than actually other talks, where if you go over a minute or two, nobody cares. On a lightning talk, you're not going to go over a minute or two. You will get pushed off the stage. Yeah, although there is one way to do it, ah. and that's to do a lightning challenge. Oh. So lightning challenges, you, you may get up to eight minutes on the stage, but... There are points during the talk for which we actually defer to the audience to see whether the speaker should continue. So uh, Michael's format was after three minutes, and then again after uh, six minutes, I think it was. Um, and then the, the audience responses are collected via a, a web app. Um, I'm going to slightly change that. this year. It's basically the same, but we're just going to have a single point after four minutes. We're actually going to stop the talk, so you have like a, a build-up to, to make your case for whether you're going to continue or not. Uh, and then the audience decides, and then all going well, we'll continue. Sounds like fun. So, very slight change, but otherwise, yeah, it's going to be uh, a little bit more pressure. So, um, uh, re recommend only those that uh, have prior experience doing lightning talks sign up for that one. But the, but the audience loves to see you sweat. Oh, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so it's a lot of fun for the audience, right? Oh, yeah. I think the audience has, has historically been fairly generous, right? Uh, most people have gotten to continue. I, I am not aware of anyone that has. Okay. Now, I'm not going to throw around any, any claims of it being rigged, but uh, we'll see this year. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm in control. Um, lightning talks are very popular, uh, and they should be. They're a lot of fun. A lot of fun to give. 
but also a lot of fun to watch uh, and the audience gets into it. And so it's a, um, for those who haven't attended, it's, it's, uh, it's a lighter fare really than, you know, if you're going to a typical session at CBBCon, which is an hour long, we're going to dig in pretty deep. It's going to get pretty serious. If you go to Seaplus Now, it's 90 minutes long. We're going to do really deep. It's going to be really serious. Uh, and the lightning talks, sometimes they're nothing but a goof, right? Sometimes people do them just for fun. But some people have serious points they want to make. It's just a really focused uh, point on one thing. And so uh, and so it's very serious, but, it, but it's short duration. And then some people, as I say, uh, and, and we embrace that too. It's five minutes long. You can, you can have fun with it. Yeah, and of course, many of them do manage to artfully combine those two elements, so they are both entertaining and informative. Yes, there's sometimes there's a there's a real message in there, and, but we also laugh, which is everybody loves that. <laughs> um, have you ever given a lightning talk, Victor? No, only uh, real full size ones. I'm only full size. <laughs> yeah, even then, I was kind of uh, uh, short on time. I was trying to speed up by the end. No, I think it's too challenging uh, for me to make a lightning talk. Maybe when I get more experience presenting like, full-size ones. That's actually a lot of insight. That's one of the things that Kate Gregory says is that the shorter talk is actually harder to yeah. do, but most people don't realize that. <laughs> and so that's why we do them is because we get people to sign up thinking, oh, well, I'd never be able to do a full 60-minute talk, but I could talk for, <laughs> half, for five minutes. And then it turns out, no, no, a short talk really is is much harder to do. You're going to put more time into it, certainly more time for minute spent in the talk, uh, getting that honed uh, because time is so precious then. So you really work on this. Exactly. So I'm going to edit this whole section out. I don't want to put anyone off signing up for a lightning talk. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they're no less fun. You absolutely should sign up. Yeah. The, it, it's it's a lot of fun. Um, so the other announcement we made from CPPCon is uh, that uh, the posters... Uh, the posters have been announced, so if you're interested in that, uh, take a look at that. Uh, I'm always anxious to see what the posters are going to be. We will have them up, and people who go to the conference actually get to vote. So we give out little tickets, and then you vote on your best poster. And there's actually um, millions of dollars in, in prizes. No, no, no. no. <laughs> there, there is some uh, rather insubstantial prize at stake. Uh, but but mostly it's a, it's about bragging rights I think so we do uh, we do want to uh, support the poster program. Um, the other much less exciting news is that uh, our hotel is sold out. So mm-hmm. if you're attending CPPCon, uh, get your hotel room uh, right away. We we have a couple of overflows arranged. We may have to do other overflows as well because the number of people uh, wanting to stay in the hotel is really much larger than what we had anticipated. And so that's a... So does that mean we've outgrown the venue already? <laughs> we have outgrown our block. We asked for a certain number of rooms and you don't want to be too aggressive with that because you have to pay for those rooms. Whatever rooms you ask for, you have to pay for. Mm-hmm. So we didn't want to be too too aggressive and it turns out we should have been more aggressive than we were, but we didn't. I mean, I don't think we would do it any differently with what we knew then, but certainly with what we knew now, we would love to have, you know, another hundred rooms. I think it would come in really handy, but, uh, but that's where we are. Uh, if you're planning to attend, absolutely start making your, uh, room reservations right now. Even if you're not in the main hotel, you want to be, uh, you want to be in the overflow and not, um, uh, one of the things that we're looking at is, uh, for the next overflow, the first overflow we got, not nearly as nice a hotel, but, but actually less expensive, but it looks like, 
all the other f- hotels we've talked about have realized that there's a real shortage for those dates. And now they're wanting to get lots of money. So you really, really want to book your hotels really quickly uh, because there's clearly going to be a shortage of hotels in the area. And, and the hotel managers are figuring that out and responding appropriately or inappropriately, depending on your point of view. Uh, so what else is going on? Uh, we got a couple of releases to talk about. Well, that's actually more conference news to, to get to. Oh, oh, um, oh, of course there is. Yes, yes. <laughs> Because um, I've actually announced the dates for the next C++ on C. Uh, C++ on C 2020 is going to be from the 7th to the 10th of June. Um, so it's quite a bit later than, than this year. We have it in February. Right. And um, that's a deliberate choice on, on two counts. One was to try and address one of the problems we had uh-huh. was uh, with the weather. Obviously, it's, um, it's a bit chilly in the UK in, in February. Um, we knew that going in. And being right on the yeah. coast, right on the North Sea. Uh, so it's on the channel. It's not on the North Sea. Yeah. But, but uh, yeah, we, obviously we knew that going in. What we didn't know was that being quite an old building, the, the heating system there wasn't really up to it when it got particularly windy that week. So the combination of those three factors um, was a bit of a problem. So a lot of people were sitting there wearing coats during the sessions, which are not really what you want. Um, so we thought that moving it to June would uh, give us a bit more bit more control over the weather, if you like. Uh, and the other reason was uh, the specific dates we chose deliberately to uh, immediately follow the um, WG21 Bulgaria meeting, so the, the ISO standards meeting, which is um, not going to be uh, to everyone's taste. Uh, some people would prefer to to just relax after, after a week in <laughs> WG21. But for some people who are travelling, uh, particularly from the States and other uh, further places from the UK, uh, already being sort of Europe side makes it a bit easier to to get to um, to the UK. Extend your trip, particularly if they're attending WG21, may be a good speaker. Although getting speakers has not been a problem for you, didn't you have some astronomical <laughs> number of submissions for? Yeah, we, last time we had uh, four times as many submissions as we had slots. So it's not so much the um, <laughs> the fact that we're shorter speakers, but there are certain speakers that we we may not be able to get at all otherwise um yeah and i'm not going to mention any names at this point but um but we'll see how that plays out but you're excited about a few particular yes. ones yes let's, let's think of that <laughs> all right um and if people book right now they're guaranteed a hotel room is that how it works uh no on two counts <laughs> you're not sold out on the hotel yet uh, well we haven't opened the tickets yet um but yeah oh. you, you mentioned hotels we're actually in the process of trying to book up as many other hotels as possible Right now, because we know that um, obviously being for the, the peak season in a coastal town in the UK, it's going to get uh, quite busy. So uh, we're trying to book as many as we can uh, and reserve blocks. And what we don't have is like one big hotel like, like we do with uh, CPPCon that we can just book out a block in. We have to find lots of little hotels, maybe have 10 rooms here, five rooms there. So it's a bit of, bit of a job. Yeah, yeah. But it will be on the on the coast in June. Mm-hmm. Sounds like uh, sounds like it'll be beautiful. Uh, it, it can be. Uh, the UK weather is a bit unpredictable, so <laughs> it may be torrential downpours. And <laughs> we've even had snow in June before, but uh, we're not expecting that. But, uh, but who knows? It'll be exciting to find out. It will be. It will be. All right. So uh, uh, so releases. Mm-hmm. Uh, a sea lion release. Yes. So I hinted at this uh, last time which was obviously a few weeks ago now. So since then, we've actually had the release of C-Line 2019.2. I spoke a little bit about it then, so I'm not going to go into it too much now, but it's um, been quite a big release, uh, very well received. 
Um, I think um, some of the biggest news has been on the, the embedded side, actually. Uh, we've got, um, oh, I'm trying to think now, so um, support for GDB server, all sorts of embedded flavors support that. So it's open up debugging on a lot of new devices. Um, and also a peripheral view. So embedded devices have different peripherals like LEDs and things like that. Uh, they can all show up in their own dedicated view. So it's uh, really filling up to be a, um, you know, a really first class IDE for embedded development. Obviously, it's still just a start. There's going to be more to come. But, uh, but yeah, that's all I'll say for this time. Which we know because there's been a lot of work. I mean, it's not. It, 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 it... Uh, this isn't a product where somebody built a product and then stands back yeah. just to keep the just to reap the rewards. There's obviously a lot of development going on. It's very active in Absolutely. development, so that's what's kind of cool about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, there's a GCC release nine two. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about that, Victor? Did you look at that? Uh, yes, I briefly looked at it, and it looks pretty exciting for me because it has a implementation of some of the upcoming C plus plus twenty features, uh, in particular. Uh, class types and non-type template parameters, and also a minor but very useful feature is constant evaluated, uh, which is useful, for example, if you uh, want to compute a, um, a, st- a string length, and uh, you can do it with a built-in, or, uh, but built-ins are not uh, always uh, uh, context-proof-friendly, and so I have I had some workarounds in... Uh, uh, my formatting library for that, and this will eventually allow me to get rid of those workarounds and dispatch to the built-in or the uh, kind of uh, naive implementation for uh, constants. For you know, um, one of the comments you made about the, just the fact that that we are seeing twenty features already, it, it kind of reflects the reality that we have. I mean, we we use the term. At least I think of it this way: is you're programming to C plus plus eleven or C plus plus seventeen. But the truth is, the compilers are the com- the compiler teams are putting features in as they can, and um, and so it's very very seldom that you're actually in a situation where you say, "Well, we're going to use C plus plus seventeen exactly." Instead, what you do is you say, "Well." It turns out that with the compilers we need, this is a set of features that's universally supported, mm-hmm. and some of them may be different versions of C++, but we can, mm-hmm. we can embrace those. And that, um, and that is going to be such a moving target. As long as you're updating your compiler, you're going to get more and more features mm-hmm. because there's no compiler team that's sitting back and saying, well, we're not going to implement you know, 20 features until 20 ships. Nobody's doing that. Everybody is scrambling to get as much uh, into their tools as possible as soon as possible. And so... C++ continues to be a moving target. Mm. I think the only people who talk specifically about languages are, I mean, about versions, are the committee itself and people who do training because we have to keep track of it somehow. <laughs> and so thinking about it in terms of, well, we're going to talk about C++ 17 features. and uh, but, but people actually writing code are saying, well, yeah, that's not a 17 feature, but, I, but, I, but it's shipping in the compilers I care about, so I can go ahead and use it now. Yeah. Of course, since we last recorded, uh, we've had the, the Cologne meeting um, one of the big news coming out of there was the contracts have been taken out. Not because there's, um, no, nobody likes the feature, uh, but quite the contrary. Too many people like the feature and, <laughs> and have completely different ideas about how that should work. Um, and, and really it came to a head in, in Cologne. And we realized that we're, we're not quite ready as a community to decide exactly what that should look like yet. So a, a new study group has been formed to, to debate that. Um, and we, we should hopefully see the fruits of that in the 23 timeframe. 
Right. And I like the approach they're, they're, they're making on this. You know, there was kind of a last minute and I, I, um, what I heard, I was, I wasn't there, but, um, that Michael Wong did a clinic mm-hmm. on how to do negotiation to try to see, is there a solution that we can navigate that would, would please the different parties? Um, but what I like is that the way that the, the study group is, is approaching this is not to say, okay, well, these are the different designs. How do we, how do we put these designs together? No, what they're doing instead is saying, okay, let's go back. What are the use cases we want supported? Let's document what it has to achieve and then we'll figure out what the syntax is and, and what the language rules are. And I think that's exactly the way this is the methodology that should have been done more. You know, I'm, I, I give the committee, well, certainly an A for effort. There's a lot of effort that goes into it. But sometimes I think that, that there's a little bit too much politics and a little bit too much, hey, we like this syntax and, and we're going to force that to work without stepping back and saying, you know, what is it we're really trying to achieve and what are the use cases we need to support um, and, uh, so I really applaud what they do. And, and I, for one, I know everyone else, well, I should say everyone else. I think a lot of people are just seeing this as a failure. You know, we, we had a feature that was ready to go in and we pulled it out. That's what a failure. And I have the exact opposite point of view. I say, look, this is a complete success because we had a feature that some people weren't going to like at all. And that's not going to happen. I'm, I'm loving that. I think that, uh, that, that being slow about rolling out features, but when they are rolled out there, they're, uh, you know, what we really want. That's a huge win. And I know there's a lot of people disagree with me. They say, let's get stuff in. Uh, we're way behind. We need a lot more features and stuff like that. And, and I just, the, the price we pay when we get it wrong is just lots and lots of pain, lots of pain to explain to people why, well, uh, you have to watch this when you do the feature or something like that. Very painful. So Robert Ramey in the chat says, uh, the less the committee does, the more successful it is. <laughs> Well, I don't want the committee to do less. I just want the committee to standardize less. <laughs> yeah. I think that the committee spending a lot of time working on features, that is not wasted time. Uh, but I think that when the committee says, well, we've achieved a lot because we've standardized a long list of features, that's the wrong attitude. Um, uh, I think that the committee should be proud of themselves when they say uh, the features that we put in uh, are ironclad and and when described, nobody has to spend a long time saying, well, here's this thing you have to watch out for, and this doesn't work quite the way you expect it to work. And, you know, if we can just say, look, here's this cool feature, uh, maybe it doesn't do all you'd like it to do, but what it does is solid. Um, that That's a victory. That's a win. Yeah, let's not talk about object initialization again. <laughs> There's a few other things. <laughs> um, so... Uh, what else do we want to talk about before we dive into uh, our format discussion? I, I don't know if one article I put up there, but I think that was just, just in case we, uh, we had time for it. But we should probably. All right, we could we could circle back to it then. So let's talk about uh, format, or I guess what we should say now, STD format. <laughs> yeah. So tell us the story of format, Victor. Um, so you want the story of uh, STD format or the story of the uh, library? Well, start with the library. Uh, what got you interested in this, um, and uh, why were, why were you not happy with with good old C out and stream? <laughs> um, well, it started uh, surprisingly with a uh, uh, little thing. Uh, so I just wanted to report diagnostics from my parser I was working on, and uh, none of the uh, solutions that I found were convenient enough. So I wrote a little formatting library. I thought it just will take a few days and. Uh, uh, 
basically the first version did. Uh, so uh, it allowed you to pass a format string arguments. It was uh, back then it had a terrible API. Uh, also uh, similar to IOS streams, it used uh, uh, overloading of uh, insertion operator. Um, but I soon switched to uh, variadic templates. Um, so my main kind of uh, problem was that I wanted uh, to have it local, independent, uh, performant, and uh, uh, preferably so that you could have positional arguments and so that you could have the whole uh, uh, message in one place rather than uh, uh, mixed with the uh, arguments. So that was kind of uh, how it started. And then what got you, how do I say this? What got what got you considering putting this into the standard? You've proposed this as a standard. It's now been accepted. Um, how did that happen? Yeah. Yeah, so, um, so uh, the library started in 2012, I think. Uh, and uh, I only started thinking about standardization in 2016 when various people were studying, suggesting uh, to suggest this idea to me. Um, and I thought, uh, maybe it, it, it makes sense because it's such a fundamental thing that every programmer should have access to right of the box rather than pulling a third party library, um, which was uh, fairly, uh, well established by that time. So in 2016, I posted on Reddit asking if people want that. And there was a, um, Lots of excitement, and that's how it uh, started. That's when I wrote the first uh, version of the paper and submitted uh, for Toronto. And so when was that? That was Toronto was in when? Uh, Toronto was in 2017. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, so it started in 2016, but then I kind of skipped a few meetings because uh, I was in the middle of changing uh, jobs and... Uh, uh, so I went to, to work for Facebook, and uh, which was actually nice because uh, they were uh, uh, now sponsoring my trips to standards committee meeting. <laughs> I'm not sure if I uh, was able to do that working elsewhere. Now, um, the format library is designed to create format strings. You, you're not actually directly outputting things. You then use C out or something like that to actually do the output. Is that how it works? Uh, stud format, yes. It um, it can give you a stud string, uh, or you can write to uh, an output iterator um, with the format two, which is uh, somewhat similar to uh, a sprintf, I guess, <laughs> where you can pass a buffer and format there. So, right. But this is more general. So you can pass any output iterator. In particular, you can pass an uh, uh, stream iterator, which is probably horribly inefficient, or you can construct a string and pass it to CL. Right. Um, so, so it's really focused on not output, but formatting. Exactly. So I think those are fundamentally uh, uh, different uh, orthogonal features, formatting and... Uh, I/O and uh, this is one of the things that iStreams kind of mixes together, which was a bit of a design floor, if you ask me. Uh, so, uh, format takes only formatting and uh, does it as as good as possible, uh, and you can format into a buffer and then 
do your low-level I.O. on it. Okay, so give us a bit of a sketch of what the formatting library looks like. You said you had considered, or at least you did earlier, you overloaded uh, mm-hmm. the insertion operator. But wh- what does the format library look like now? You said you did want to support positional parameters. Yeah, so, um, so format library, so you have a bunch of uh, functions that take a format string uh, similar to uh, sprintf, uh, but um, the syntax is borrowed from Python, and a bunch of uh, arguments uh, which I passed using variadic templates, so it's completely type-safe. Um, and then you uh, kind of interpolate the, uh, you format the arguments and put them um, in the uh, positions uh, specified by the placeholders in the format string. F. Very much uh, resembles sprintf, it's just how would you design uh, printf nowadays? It would be type safe, replace varargs with variadic templates, uh, should be extensible so that you uh, be able to format objects of user-defined types, and it should be performant uh, because printf is kind of uh, has this locale by default uh, behavior, and uh, uh, which really impedes performance. So let me ask you a question. Suppose that I create a format string and I'm formatting something that's going to have uh, three numeric values in it, three integer values. Yeah. But I only pass two. Do I get a compile time error or is that a runtime problem? Uh, so uh, I, if you're talking about the uh, std format, it will be a runtime error, but um, because the language doesn't provide good facilities to report it at compile time at the moment, but all the underlying design and uh, low-level APIs uh, allow you to process format string at compile time. So in the future, we'll be able to have it reported at compile time. And the FMT library, in fact, uh, implements this feature, although in somewhat hacky way, so that you need to wrap your format string in a macro, and then it uses context pro lambdas and uh, all kind of ugly um, hacks to um, uh, process it at compile time. With the um, class types and uh, non-time template parameters, the feature uh, nine GCC nine point two feature I was talking about actually makes it easier. Mm-hmm. So in twenty three we'll probably have this. Okay, but not in twenty. But it's but it's. Part of the design path. It's something you're looking at. at. Exactly. It, it was one of the first um, review comments I got from the standards committee meeting. We want this uh, at compile time. <laughs> I mean, format string checks. And not just checks. So checks is uh, one thing, but another thing is that you can parse the format string at compile time and generate an optimal formatter, so to speak, that can take your arguments and place them efficiently in the output uh, buffer. So that's another possible improvement. Well, as we speak about improvements um, and uh, the future, I know from previous interviews that you were not really that strongly motivated to do kind of input, <laughs> but now you've kind of changed your mind and started to work on some input stuff, right? Uh, to some extent. So uh, on one hand, uh, um, I'm very keen on parsing, and uh, as you, as I told earlier, the whole formatting thing started from me trying to report better diagnostics from a parser. Um, but uh, yeah, I think there is a lot of work to do in formatting. Yeah, so uh, um, 
and it's more important in my opinion than uh, the input part. But that said, uh, um, I did uh, write a sketch of a paper for Cologne, and uh, now I'm um, collaborating with uh, Elias Gosselin, the author of uh, ScanLib, SCNLib, um, uh, who kindly agreed to um, work with me together on this in this area. So hopefully we'll come up with something by maybe for 23 if uh, uh, the committee is happy with our approach. Well, that's a real challenge. I mean, there's security implementations, implications. There's lots of performance issues, yeah. but it's it's as important. It might be that it's actually used a little less because just about every program is going to do some output. But yeah. a lot of times programs have their own particular way of doing input, so they don't need this. But but it is, and it's hard. It's hard. Let's say this. It's hard to get it right. If you're willing to just kind of ignore the errors, then it's pretty easy to write it. <laughs> but to get it really right, it's hard. It's really hard. Mm. And particularly, it, it's hard enough just writing um, writing an input library that accepts that there might be bad input from careless users. Mm -hmm. But when you start to say, well, what if it's actually a malicious user? What if it's not, not carelessness? What if someone is actually deliberately trying to give you the worst possible input to break your app, that's what's terrifying because that's um, that's really hard to get right. No pressure on you, though, Victor. Yeah, absolutely. And the um, one thing that is not uh, appreciated by the, uh, uh, kind of the design of uh, ScanF is uh, that uh, in, uh, formatting and parsing is inherently asymmetric. And so ScanF tries to kind of hide this uh, difference. And uh, so we need to think how to do the error reporting and how to handle um, kind of malicious input and all these things and how to do all of this performance. I totally agree with John. Yeah, I think deceptively, it seems like it should be symmetric, but mm. it, no. It, no, it's a completely different animal with completely different issues, very much so. Um, so what's the direction you're taking on this? You said you've, you have written or you are writing a paper? Uh... Um, so I wrote a sketch of a paper kind of to outline some of the ideas. So I was uh, um, looking at the ScanF approach and what, what if we do the same uh, for ScanF as we did for SprintF with the format. And um, there are some good features of that, but error handling is one of the things. Um, and how do you return the... Uh, Outputs, uh, if, uh, all these uh, details need more thoughts. So I hope to uh, collaborate with Elias in that because he has an implementation experience. Yeah. So not a slam dunk for 23, even though we have what seems like plenty of time. No. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, so what, what other kinds of features? You, you say that uh, Facebook is now supporting you to... Uh, to go to meetings, I assume you're not working only on format. What other things are interesting that you've been working on? Uh, yeah, I'm definitely working not only on format. That's my hobby project. So Facebook allows me to spend a few weeks uh, at standard um, committee meetings. But otherwise, uh, my uh, full job is completely, uh, my day job is completely unrelated. I work on an uh, RPC and serialization framework called Thrift. Maybe you've 
motivated the uh, Facebook variety because apparently there are several of those. Um, uh, I always started uh, relatively recently, half a year ago. But yeah, that's uh, it's a fun project, and there is also uh, a parsing and sterilization aspects in it, which uh, which is near <laughs> and dear to me. Um, just for in, internal RPC use, yeah, right. Um, you have to marshal the marshal the arguments and then parse them on the other end. Yeah, so it's basically for communicating between services. It's not in, uh, internal; it's actually an open source project. Uh, there are two open source projects. There is Apache Swift, which Facebook originally open sourced, and I'm working on the second iteration of that called FB Swift, which is available on GitHub. Yeah, we did look at using that for my uh, my last project. And of course, we ended up writing our own. <laughs> <laughs> A true C++ programmer. <laughs> of course. Let's look at what's available and then decide yeah. to write our own. <laughs> yeah. That's how it works. Maybe we should standardize an RPC framework. Um, well, that's, uh, that would certainly be uh, 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 an undertaking. And uh, would be appreciated if you could get to it. Uh, I think you'd find it challenging, but yeah, maybe networking first. Maybe not. Maybe it can be based on uh, uh, what we're the direction we're going with ASIO. Or, or reflection. I think reflection will play a big role. Compile time reflection will play a big role in a serialization framework. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about it that way. But yeah, I was thinking more of the networking side. But you're right. The uh, mm-hmm. um, the reflection stuff that's coming. Um, I don't know how much reflection stuff is in 20, but I know that there's some really ambitious ideas for what we want to go. And I think it's, well, it's, again, it's my conservative bias, but I, but I think it makes more sense to get it right than to start putting some things in that we hope are right. Um, yeah, reflection would be really useful for that because you could, instead of having a separate IDL language, you could express everything in um, uh, C++ and then generate uh, bindings and serialization code for other languages. So it's one code generator less. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the most difficult ones. Which is actually what we ended up doing in my previous role, albeit with macros. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Doesn't that sound like fun? Yep. <laughs> um, actually, what I, was, what I was asking about earlier uh, was not really your work at Facebook, although it's, that's interesting. What I was wondering is, what are you working on on the committee that's not framework is is uh, or is format? Is format take up all your committee time, or do you get a chance to look at other features and what's interesting that that you've been working on? Um, well, format took most of my committee time, especially during the uh, last few meetings because it was close to C plus plus twenty, and we really wanted to. Uh, uh, make the deadline. It wouldn't even happen if not for all the telecom that uh, Marshall, Glenn, uh, the uh, chair of library working group, organized. Uh, yeah, so it did uh, take uh, most of my work. I- I've been paying attention about uh, some Unicode uh, stuff and the uh, low-level I.O. library looks pretty interesting. I'm wondering if we can somehow integrate and uh, have a formatted I.O. on top of that, but uh, I'm still... Um, needs some more thought but yeah Unicode is super important and I hope in 23 we'll have better support for for it um, and some way uh, to uh, output uh, UTF-8 uh, <laughs> uh, strings and, um, 
yeah, and format them as well. Because for, for now we just uh, punted on the on Unicode and um, 420, which is sad. But yeah. yeah, that's how it is. In the format library, it's not uh, it's not supported. In the in the library, it is supported uh, to some extent. So um, uh, yeah, although more work is needed because. Uh, uh, right now, you cannot, uh, for example, specify a uh, uh, multi-byte uh, fill character. So it, it should. Uh, right now, it's just one code point. I started working on it, but um, oh, sorry, code units. Um, I meant uh, uh, code units. Yeah. So I'm working on uh, supporting like arbitrary code points and possibly even uh, graphene clusters, but that's. <laughs> uh, Maybe too challenging. Even Python works in code point uh, level. Uh-huh. Uh, you were you were inspired by the Python format. Is that because you've done a lot of Python, or was it just you were looking around and and found that? Uh, I've I can't say that I've been uh, doing a lot of Python, but uh, it's my go-to scripting language, and I like the way they solve the formatting problem. It's kind of um, they started from printf and did it right, modernized it in a very nice way. So I took uh, it as an example and adapted uh, for C++, which, is a ver- which was a very easy way, easy thing to do, um, surprisingly. So, so in the process, some of the more dynamic features of the uh, formatting language were lost. For example, you cannot just... Um, uh, specify nested uh, format specifiers everywhere. You can just uh, have dynamic width or dynamic precision. That's it. Uh, because otherwise the performance would be appalling. In Python, they don't care about performance. They can just make things nice for the user. <laughs> for C++, we cannot have that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that there's an awful lot of good ideas that went into Python. Um, and it had kind of a good overall philosophy. Things like uh, explicit is better than implicit, which I think that we are learning the hard way in C++. I think we're kind of coming around to that, but there's a number of things um, that I, where I think Python got it right. Um, mm-hmm. Don't tell anybody, but most of the code that runs CppCon is written in Python. Secret sight with us. Because, you know, it might be embarrassing. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> um uh, we merge with PyCon. Oh my God! <laughs> um, uh, you know, PyCon has kind of been. I, I've never been to PyCon. I don't know that much about it, but I've kind of watched it from afar with the idea that uh, when we got when we started CppCon, I looked at PyCon and I said, if if they can be that size, then we can also be that size. So that has been my. You know, we have grown every year. And when you project growth out like this, you always get scared and say, well, what if this is the year that we've hit the max and we're not going to grow very much now? Uh, you know, I, I have conversations with people, including, you know, kind of what our, our um, uh, Herb, who has said a number of times, he said, you know, PyCon is big enough or, or CppCon is big enough. I, if it doesn't grow, I'm OK with that. And I'm a little no, no, I think it should be much bigger. Um, I'm happy that I mean, he's not opposed to growing, but <laughs> But he's always like, okay, no, this is big. And I say, well, uh, we grew 30% on our um, early bird registrations or 30% ahead of last year. And he said, what? 
Um, so uh, uh, I think that we, you know, and I, the last I looked at PyCon, it's like 3,500 people. And so we're at like a little more than 1,500 probably this year. Um, so we've got a lot of, uh, I, think, I think we're a long way from maxing out our growth. Um, we're still growing pretty fast. Uh, and before we stop growing, we're going to slow down. And we haven't shown any signs of slowing down yet. So, um, but no, I, I look at PyCon and see that as essentially if, if they can be there, then we can get there eventually. I mean, they have a 10-year head start. PyCon is a long-established uh, conference. And we are still, I don't know what to say. We've done one location move or we're in the middle of doing a location move. So I think we're kind of beyond being a child. Maybe we're in our adolescence now. Uh, we're not really fully mature conference, I think, in some ways, but um, but still hitting growth spurts occasionally. And this is taken into account there are, that there are so many other C++ conferences out there nowadays. You see like, announcements all the time. Mm-hmm. Only one or two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yes, there certainly are a lot of conferences and I don't, uh, I want to support that. Um, on the one hand, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little scary to know that I'm competing with a lot of conferences for speakers and attendees and, you know, we just can't scale up. Uh, most programmers don't have an infinite budget for the amount of time they can spend it. It's not money. That's the problem. It's, it's time. Uh, and particularly if they're on the committee. And they're already spending three weeks at committee time. And then they go to the boss and say, I'd like to attend two or three other conferences. <laughs> and that's, that's not a popular request. So, um, so yeah. But on the other hand, I like the idea that there are regional conferences. People, um, you know, people don't have to feel like they're um, going to the big scary conference. Instead, they go to their local conference that's close and maybe know some people who are attending that and feel more comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. there's room for that too. So, um, I, you know, there's so much, the committee is working so fast. And even if the committee stood still, which they're not going to, um, we still have lots of stuff to talk to people about best practices. I mean, there's a lot of room for education. That's not being, um, that's not being fulfilled. So there's lots and lots of stuff that conferences can do. And we need to get lots more people, um, talking and listening to each other and, to up our game um, in, in total. So I hope I'll see submissions from both of you to, to do my C++ on C. <laughs> <laughs> um, awesome. So June, June's an interesting time. I'll have to think about that because that's going to be after C++ now. Um, may, and, and maybe it's far enough after that I could actually have uh, catch my breath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. Tony Van Erd on a, on a chat today said, um, ah, so it's going to be C++ now, breathe, then C++ on C. And then somebody else pointed out that actually there's the WP21 meeting in the middle as well. Ah, so it's C++ now, breathe, <laughs> WP21, then C++ on C. No breath. Well, I don't know. I don't know if ACCU has announced their dates yet, but they're usually April. Yeah. So it's going to be ACCU, mm-hmm. breathe, C++ now, breathe <laughs> you're forgetting c plus plus russia which one there's and moscow two of them now <laughs> uh moscow is in the spring mm-hmm. yeah sure and um, when is it this year is a couple of weeks after accu 
And a few weeks later, we have uh, Core C++. I'm not sure when they're going to be next year. Yeah, so... Um... I wonder if you can continuously go from one C++ event to another. It has been suggested. Maybe if you count uh, user groups, user group meetings. <laughs> if you if you count uh, WG21 meetings and user yeah. group meetings, yeah, there's something really interesting going on almost all year long. And when you when you look from say April to well to September even, but April, May, June. There's a lot of stuff going on in there. Um, so uh, you definitely could just take those three months off and just go to conferences. <laughs> I, wish. So I don't remember how we got on to this digression, but I think it was originally talking about Python. Yeah. And I had a little point to make on that, which was I was reading a, a Reddit thread today on uh, std format, and somebody commented that uh, finally C++ is getting Python formatting. And it seems to be a lot of support for that idea. And I've heard that before as well. That, um, <laughs> that, that's, that's the way people seem to be thinking of it, which is um, a compliment, yeah. I think. I think that um, it's, it's, it's wrong to think that just because a feature is successful in another language, it can be grafted into C++. Hmm. But it's also wrong to think that C++ has to invent everything from, uh, from scratch. Yeah. We should be aggressively stealing from other languages. We have to make it work in C++, we have to decide on the kinds of things we want to steal. But we shouldn't be too proud to say, you know, um, Python got this right. Mm -hmm. uh, I think a lot of the things that Python got right, they got right because they looked at C++ and saw that C++ yeah. didn't do it as well and that there's room for improvement. And so I think stealing back is uh, well, it's good for users. Um, you know, I feel that way about conferences. Some of the great stuff at CppCon is something, is an idea that I stole from Jens or ACCU or somebody else. It's like, yeah, that works there. Let's steal that idea. <laughs> and um, and uh, by the same token, I'm, I'm happy to have other conferences steal our good ideas. So, uh, you know, it's just for the best of the user. It always is. And being too proud and saying, well, we're not going to do it that way because everybody else does it that way or somebody else does it that way or that idea is associated with another language or conference or whatever. It's just the wrong attitude. The right attitude is if that works for our users and or attendees, then then we will steal that ad that that idea. Uh, now you have to integrate it. You know you have to make it part of. You know you, you have to make it work in your environment, whatever, whether that's a conference or a language. I think this analogy may be stretched too far. I don't know, but <laughs> but I uh, but I see it that way. Um, we were going to talk about uh, this article: seventeen smaller but handy C plus plus seventeen features. You know, this is almost a theme. There's a, there's a talk at CppCon on smaller 17 feet. I, I think there's a lot of richness in 17, and people are kind of – it's not the big feature. It's all these little tiny things that make it so nice. It's ironic, really, because when 17 was uh, – at the same stage that we're at now with, with 20, there was this sort of collective uh, sigh that uh, all those big features we've been hoping for didn't make it into 17. There's going to be nothing left. It's going to be such a minor release. And then we realized there are actually quite a few big features in it, after all. It was, a, it was a big release. And now we're finding that they were shielding even more uh, minor things that, that made it in. They're also really nice. So it's like multi-stage uh, discovery that we're, we're having. A, just how good C++17 is. 
there are features that look minor, but then uh, when library implementers start implementing them, they kind of <laughs> start regretting it. For example, from chars to chars requires a ton of work. And it's the uh, specification is very simple. So, so here it mentions from chars, but to chars uh, as well is pretty important. Yeah, I think um, I think I remember seeing some progress stuff on that. That that's it. Some of the stuff that's easy to specify is very hard to implement. <laughs> and also very important because before uh, for, from chars to chars, we didn't have a good round trip uh, shortest uh, floating point representation, which is a shame. And also um, having that, uh, I was able to still and uh, um, define stitch format in terms of uh, two charts, which was uh, <laughs> nice. Uh, made that an easier specification. Exactly. Because that work is already done for you. Great. Um, so are there particular features you wanted to call out out of this, Phil? Uh, well, I will admit I haven't actually read the whole article. I'll just go through it. That's what it sounded interesting. Uh-huh. Um, and it's from a... Um, uh, an author who who tends to uh, to write good stuff, um, uh, Bartek, did you pick? Yeah. Um, but a couple there uh, struck me, um, like the dynamic memory allocation for over-aligned data. It's actually the first one in the list. But when you need that, that's that's huge, because it's not really something you can you can easily do otherwise. But another gem is the uh, std void t transformation trait, which... Um, off the top of my head, I can't even remember now exactly when it's useful. But it's, it's one of those things where when you need it, you think, right, that's exactly what I need. And it's, it seems like magic. Yeah. I think every project has an implementation of yeah. that. It's like one-liner or two-liner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So having it as a um, for the capital type is, uh, is, is really good, I think. And then the, the GCD, LCM, and, and CAMP methods. Uh-huh. Again, so this simple bread-and-butter stuff. That's just really nice just having the standard. Right. Not necessarily very clever. I know um, because I've done it in, in, in a class environment, explaining what clamp is is hard to do. And yet once you get it, it's just such an yeah. obvious thing. <laughs> um, but I, it's, it's, I don't know what to say. It sounds like it would be easy to explain. And when you try to explain it, it's, it's harder. That it's, it's hard to just put it in a few words. Um, but, um, so perhaps you could explain what it is then. Oh, great, 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 great. <laughs> um, um, so clamp clamp takes a value and two limits. Uh, and the idea is that it will return the value you passed in as long as it's within those limits. If it is not, it will return the limit that it is that it exceeds. Yep. Does that make any sense? Sounds good to me. <laughs> As well, I said, the nearest limit because it may be lower. Well, yeah, I guess the limit. Yeah, the nearest limit. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's as I said. It's 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 once you understand it and you say, oh, oh, I've needed that. I have a form where we do this input, and uh, you can input any value you want. But if it's greater than this or less than this, we can't accept it, and so we have to we have to clamp it to that value. And so, yeah, clamp is clamp is a cool. Um, a cool, a cool tool. Um, and, um, let's see, what other things does he have on here? Um, I don't even know about the sampling algorithms. What is sample? Is that simply, uh, taking a 
selects n elements from a sequence, the random selection. Oh. Yeah, that is kind of cool. Oh, I didn't know that one. Um, yeah, I haven't heard of that before. So uh, yeah, I am going to have to take some time and read through this list. As you, uh, as you point out, these are not huge things. These are small things, but they are things that you'd you that will come up uh, repeatedly over time and um rather than write them yourself and maybe get them wrong it's nice to have something that's documented implemented tested specified all those kinds of things i'm excited about removed features oh yeah auto pointer finally gone yeah yeah i think we should remove more more stuff from the standard because it's getting too big and there is so much deprecated or Absolutely. Auto points are being removed actually caused a problem for me in Catch before we went to Catch 2. And I still had to support C 98. Mm. We either had auto pointer, but we didn't have unique pointer yet. Or we had unique pointer, but we didn't have auto pointer. So I ended up having to create a macro to initially (laughs) compile to one or the other, depending on the standard version. Why macro and not a type LS? Because I had to support C 98. Ah. Yeah, soon. <laughs> How soon we forget? Yes, yes, yes. Um, so, is it is it Vittorio who has proposed this uh, uh, the idea of epics so that you can oh, yes. uh, essentially turn on and off language flavors uh, in in your source code and say you know um, I think that that's the kind of thing that sounds really attractive until you start to get into the details and then you realize. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, epochs, I think, was his term. Epochs, yeah. yes. Uh, and I, I do think that we are going to need something like that. Um, maybe not right now, although it would be useful, but I think at some point it's going to become inevitable. Because we're, we're, not, yeah. we're not deprecating stuff fast enough. We can't because of the backward compatibility requirements. So we're going to need some way of um, having, having our cake and eating it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, don't know, I don't know how to do it. Um, Particularly when you have a situation where you're uh, where you're using templates, which is essentially, you know, take this code and put it right here. And okay, so which set of which language are we talking about then? When you do that, is it the language that the template was written in, or is it the language where the template is being, you know, inserted? Um, and maybe there's a clear answer to that. I don't know what it is, but maybe there is. Maybe you say no, no. Wherever the template was written, we're going to follow the language rules there. Um, and when you instantiate a template, you're instantiating that template under the language rules that the template was written in. Maybe that, maybe it's not a problem, but it's the kind of thing that makes me think, hmm, have we really thought this one through carefully? Because that's, that's going to be what the challenge is. Um, and of course, when you have macros, that's okay. That's, <laughs> that's going to be, uh, well, presumably macros wouldn't be allowed in the, the, the new version of the language. That's right. That's right. Um, that's uh, that's the language that both we we all want and we all fear. Uh, suddenly, I can't use macros anymore. Um, I feel like macros have this very very long tail. There's the really common use of macros, and the language has taken care of that. So you know, it used to be basically they were used as constants. Well, now we have constants. Then they were used as inline functions. Well, we have inline functions. You know, so the main uses of macros have gone away. And we've finally gotten rid of include. Well, we shouldn't say we've gotten rid of it, but we now have a language version of include where we have modules, so we don't need include anymore. But there are 
I mean, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of uses of macros. And to try to introduce a feature in the language that makes this particular use of macros obsolete is, I think, doing more damage to the language than, uh, than it's worth. I think you just have to say, look, we discourage people from using macros, but here's a list of you know, 40 different situations where you might want to use macros, none of which any one situation is important or interesting, but, uh, but, but they won't ever go away, at least. I, I can't imagine a situation where somebody could make the case and say, okay, that was the last use case you ever need for macros. You don't need to use macros anymore. I, I, just, I just don't buy it. I, I've used macros for bizarre things at one time or another, and I hate macros. But it's like, okay, well, there's no choice. Uh, either I'm going to repeat myself in a really painful and ugly way, or I'm going to use a macro here. And I hate to repeat myself too. I so. can imagine the title of the, the, the blog post or talk announcing it now. The last macro. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so... Um, I, uh, I want to thank you, uh, for being on Victor. I'm sorry about the, uh, connectivity issues. We'll, uh, uh, look forward to what Phil can do, uh, to patch over those in, uh, in post edit. Thank you. And, uh, thanks for our, for our live audience commenting on, um, on our adventures here. And I guess it's, it's time for us to, uh, wish everyone safe coding and if you listen to CPPcast, uh, then you can listen to Matthew talk about secure coding as well. So <laughs> safe coding, everybody. Safe coding. Safe coding.